Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Uh, during our pledge drive, uh, and we are in our first day of the pledge drive, it's best of Access Utah. Today the theme is the arts. And uh, we are going to hear uh, excerpts from some of my very favorite uh, arts interviews on Access Utah. We are going to be hearing from legendary lyricist Sheldon Harnick. He's going to take us behind the scenes at the creation of Fiddler on the Roof. We're also going to hear from uh, Renaissance woman Christine McKinley. She's an engineer. Uh, she's a uh, writer, composer, uh, musician, and she's a, a, a staunch advocate for STEM education for girls. And uh, that's uh, Christine McKinley. And uh, we're going to hear about uh, hear some music from her uh, musical, Gracie and the Atom and to hear about some of her upbringing. And we'll hear uh, this hour from Corey Christiansen, guitar professor at USU and a guitarist extraordinaire. He's going to give us a musical history lesson illustrated on the guitar. That's all coming up. We'll also be hearing from uh, Dean of the Kane College of the Arts, Craig Jessup, telling us uh, why he listens to public radio and why he thinks that uh, you should support uh, this programming. And uh, with we for the hour today is our general manager, uh, Peg Arnold. So we need to get your uh, microphone up here. Yes. We there are. we go. Thank you, Tom. Happy to be here and happy to be celebrating the arts on Access Utah. Loved that preview of what we have to come. Um, I want to add one little thing. We have some challenge money as well for Access Utah. Oh, that's Utah. great. So $500 is available to us through, through the generous offering from Sonia Manuel DuPont and Ryan DuPont. They are supporting this day and Access Utah um, featuring the arts. So it is your opportunity to match your money, double your money, dollar for dollar. And you can do that by pledging online. UPR.org is the place. Um, you can also call us 800-826-1495. UPR.org. So uh, thanks to uh, Sonia Manuel DuPont and Ryan DuPont. That's a lot of money there. And you can you can help us out and leverage your money yes. as well. Yes. Uh, so let's uh, let's hear just uh, briefly from uh, Craig Jessup. Uh, he came in and talked to us uh, yesterday, Dean of the Kane College of the Arts. He's a UPR listener, Access Utah listener. Let's hear this first uh, clip. Tom, I listen to you all the time, and I admire so much your consistently high-quality interviews and broadcasts, and that's a lot of work. I know how much work that is. Uh, and you seem yeah. to always come through. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. It is we do, we do strive for to keep the quality up, right? You That's do, the, because people have choices every day. You can yeah. listen to somebody else. So yeah. we we have to. Uh, you know, I tell my uh, my student interns, it's uh, when we do the promotional announcements. It's it's kind of like a carnival barker, you know. Yeah. Look at me. Look at me. Here's what yeah. we have today. Yeah. You know? A lot of and, people. And it has to. It has to be good. Exactly, because so many competing voices. Yeah. yeah. So kind of similar, I guess, to, to you. You have to, uh, when you when you build your programs, you have to make sure that people are going to want to come. Right? You're only as good as your last concert. Yeah, yeah. Or exhibition or play. Right, yeah. right. And so that's uh, Craig Jessup. Uh, you noticed there was some fumbling around. He, he started speaking immediately. We're still setting up the microphones, and he, he, he launched in with some praise for Access Utah. I appreciate that. He's oh, a listener wow. to Access Utah, and he raises a good point. Um, we feel pressure. We, we need to meet your needs every day. We hope that we do, 
If we do, if you gain some value from the program, here's the time when we ask you to uh, to add some financial support. It is. And how wonderful that the first thing that Craig wants to talk about is Access Utah and how important it is. That's one of those wonderful things in radio when we um, either begin an interview or end an interview. Keep the mic on. Sometimes those jewels come right at the beginning yeah. or the end. Yeah, certainly so, true. Yeah. So thank you, Craig. Thank you for your support for Utah Public Radio and listening and enjoying the programming. Um, we, we do think about the pressures of opportunities, of choices. And today we're asking you to think about those things because you can make a choice too with support for this program um, by pledging online, upr.org. Um, maybe a lot of people are at work or at home and are busy. Just jump onto upr.org, hit the donate button, and guess what? You will help continue um, to make this programming possible. So let's jump in and uh, hear some great programming. This is an opportunity, uh, Peg, to for me to uh, go back in the archive and and remember. Hey, we've had some great programs. Fantastic, and showcase them. Yeah. Um, maybe you missed them the first time. So right. this is an opportunity to catch those uh, right now. We think it's some of the best best work um, that we've done recently. So. Uh, so in 2013, legendary lyricist Sheldon Harnick, uh, lyricist for Fiddler on the Roof and She Loves Me and many others, uh, came to Logan as part of the Utah Festival Opera and Musical Theater season. Wow. And uh, so he sat right here in this studio, and uh, what a opportunity to, wow. to talk to. Yeah. He's, he's getting up in years, but still very sharp. And uh, we talked about his mentor, E.Y. Yip Harburg, and a lot of other things and how he, how he changed from being a violinist to a lyricist. But uh, I think probably what people want to hear and what I really wanted to learn about was uh, take us behind the scenes of Fiddler on the Roof. So that's, that's the excerpt we're going to hear next. This is uh, Sheldon Harnick. Speaking of ideas that uh, when you're presented with them, they, it might seem problematic, Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, this is, of course, post-Holocaust. This is uh, what, the 1960s and a musical about... European uh, Jews, pogroms, exile um, might have seemed a bit problematic. Well, Jerry Bach and I did a lot of reading, looking for subjects for musicals. And somebody, I can't remember who, somebody sent me a a big, thick book by Sholem Aleichem called Wandering Star, which was about a Yiddish theatrical troupe uh, wandering around Eastern Europe. And I loved it, and I gave it to Jerry Book, to, uh, Jerry Buck, Jerry Book, and he loved it. And we thought this should be a musical. Who would do it? And we thought of Joe Stein. So we sent it to him. Joe read it, and he said it is wonderful, but it's too big. There are too many characters. It covers too many years. It would be, it's too big a canvas to put on stage. But since we love this, the writing of this man, Shalom Aleichem, let's see what else he wrote that might make a musical. We read more stories by him, and we stumbled on uh, Tevye's Daughters. And when we read that, it was just so human. It was funny, it was human, it was warm, uh, it was interesting, and we thought this would, uh, this could make a musical. Uh, when we started work on it, we thought if we do our job right and we capture the beauty of the stories, maybe it'll run a year or two, and it will have been worth it. We had no idea that it was going to turn into what it turned into. Hmm. And you had a little bit of trouble finding financial backers, right? Hal Prince, uh, we did a lot of backers auditions, and uh, a lot of the women 
who headed the uh, the groups that bought theater parties, a lot of them were Jewish. And they were quite worried by the fact that there was darkness in the musical. At the end of the first act, there's a pogrom. At the end of the second act, there's an exile. And they were worried. Uh, they thought it might be difficult to sell tickets. And at the end of each audition, Hal Prince would get up and say, ladies, there's going to be a lot of humor in this. There's a lot of laughter. Joe Stein is noted for his comic scripts. And in the lead, we have a very funny man. We have Zero Mostel. Eventually, he did raise the money. But uh, we went to Detroit for our, our pre, the beginning of our pre-Broadway tour and discovered that there was a, a newspaper strike. So there were difficulties. Hmm. Um, and... Uh I was listening to another interview that you gave. Uh, you tell an interesting story about uh, Harold Clerman, a, uh, a critic, and, and, and the meaning of, of Fiddler. Well, Harold Clerman was my favorite critic because not only did he do interesting reviews, but he gave you a lot of history connected with the authors and the plays that he wrote about. When he did his review of Fiddler in The Nation magazine, he said, uh, all my friends told me, they said, Harold, you should go see this. It's like a religious experience. He said, I went to see it, and I was disappointed. And then he said, but the more I thought about it, the more I realized that uh, it wasn't a matter of being accurate about the lives of uh, the Jewish communities that these fellows were writing about, but people, the, the immigrants, the people who came to America, their memories were different. They were not accurate either. What they remembered was the sense of community, which was so important. And that's what this show captures. He said, so my initial impression was wrong. Mm. It's a wonderful musical. Mm. And I've never seen a critic do that, start out by saying it's not so good and end up by raving about it. Mm. And in a sense, uh, the stories of Sholem Aleichem and, and, and Fiddler, you're preserving the memory of, of some of these, a lot of these communities which are, which are gone. Well, our director, Jerome Robbins, told us that when he was six years old, his parents had taken him to Poland, to the area where they came from. And Jerry remembered, even at the age of six, he remembered the experience as being very emotional. During World War II, when he read about these little villages, such as the one he visited, being exterminated, he was horrified. And when we asked him to direct uh, what became Fiddler on the Roof, he said, for me, it's an opportunity to put that culture back on stage, give it another 25 years of life, mm -hmm. and it's been much more than 25 years. But Robbins was like a man obsessed. Mm -hmm. he, he did endless research uh, and, uh, and did an, an extraordinary job. Including, was it his suggestion to go to a Hasidic wedding? Yes, he took us to Hasidic weddings. He took us to holiday celebrations at various places. Uh, and things that he saw wound up in the show. For instance, I had never been to uh, ceremonies that were that orthodox. And I saw the velvet cord that separated the men from the women. I saw at a wedding, I saw the men uh, holding, picking up the groom, lifting him in a chair, and the women lifting up the bride sitting in a chair. Uh, at, uh, there was a man who came to all of these weddings, and he wandered around with a bottle on his head. And ultimately, that became the, the bottle dance. You know? mm -hmm. So uh, everything that Robin saw was grist for his mill. Mm. If you just joined us, we're talking with Sheldon Harnick. We're very pleased to have him for the Hour on Access Utah today. 
And, of course, we're talking about Fiddler on the Roof, uh, Sheldon Harnick, a lyricist for She Loves Me and Fiorello and uh, many others. Uh, uh, Coyote Tales, maybe talk a little bit about that uh, with uh, such music of Henry Molicone. And also Sheldon Harnick has uh, provided English translations of opera libretti. Some, yes. Uh, so uh, that's an interesting experience we want to talk about as well. Uh, so we're talking with Sheldon Harnick uh, today. So you start out with Fiddler in Detroit. You go to Washington, I believe, uh, end up in New York. Um, and, uh, of course, going into it, you you don't know. None of you know, right, that it's going to be the hit that it became? Well, uh, when we left Detroit, we didn't know. But when we got to Washington, uh, we saw a site that was uh, it warmed my heart, but we, we couldn't understand it. We got to the theater to rehearse, and there was a long line of people waiting to buy tickets for Fiddler. And we thought, how can that be? There were no reviews in Detroit. It must be that everybody's called their friends and said, go see this show. And that was very encouraging. And then when we got to New York, we saw the same phenomenon. There was this long line of people waiting to buy tickets. Uh, so it, um, it, ticket sales increase, and then by the end of your uh, scheduled run, uh, you're, you're selling out. Yeah. Uh, in Detroit, uh, that was another thing that chilled us. Hal told us that we had to stay in New York for five weeks. This was part of the deal he made with the theater owner. We had to be there for five weeks, but we only had a subscription for three and a half weeks. So the last week and a half we were there, there was not one ticket sold. But by the end of that run, we were selling out. Mm. Why do you think Fiddler hit? So it, it's still, it's, it's part of our consciousness. Uh, you can't escape it. Well, my own feeling is that it's because about something that it's, is so universal in the relationship between parents and children. Parents grow up uh, with a certain set of traditions, if you will, experiences. And as often as not, children tend to drift away from that. And it can be very difficult for parents to accept the fact that the children are not behaving in the way they expect them to or going in directions that they expect them to. This is universal. Fiddler has been done all over the world. And in every country, I think the, the, the uh, relationships between parents and children uh, are the same. And even beyond staged versions, the movie, uh, you've got Sunrise, Sunset at many weddings. Well, that's the other, aspect, the other aspect which I left out is that because of Jerry Robbins' insistence and making us rewrite, 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 uh, the show also has a wonderful book, a wonderful score, and those terrific dances of, of Jerry Robbins. So that also is important. Mm. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about collaboration between you and, and Jerry Bach. Do you, uh, I think uh, some teams do it uh, one way, some teams do it the other. Do you do lyrics first? He's, he sets those. Does he do music first? In our collaboration, it always started with music first. He would go into his studio, uh, he would write musical numbers, and then at a certain point he would send me a tape with anywhere from eight to a dozen numbers on it, and he would have a little preface, a spoken preface, saying, I think this is for the butcher, I think this is for Tevya, I think this is whatever it is. And on every tape, I would find maybe two or three pieces of music that just affected me, so I couldn't wait to put lyrics to them. But somewhere along the line, I would have an idea for a song where I didn't want to be handcuffed by the music. I wanted the freedom to write it. 
And I remember the first time I gave Jerry a lyric, I wondered whether he could set a lyric as as beautifully as he could write music first, and he could. Mm -hmm. And not only that, he was a wonderful editor. Uh, Jerry himself was a good lyricist, and when I gave him uh, a lyric, quite often he would say, you know something, these four lines make the song. Let's scrap the rest of it, and let's just go with these four lines, and you'll rewrite the rest. So it, it was a, 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 a very rich collaboration. Mm -hmm. Did you and Fiddler, or, or apply more broadly in other musicals, for example, uh, do you have anyone in mind? Did you have Zero Mostel in mind when you were writing some of these no, things? No, we or, always, that comes later. Jerry and I always wrote for character, and then uh, inev invariably found the, the actor to uh, fit that character. Mm -hmm. And of course, Jerry, Jerry Robbins, because we actually, for Fiddler, we wanted an actor named Howard De Silva, who had been in, in uh, Fiorello and who was wonderful. But Robin said no. He said the character of Tevye is larger than life. He said Howard is wonderful, but he's just life size. I want somebody like Zero Mostel who's larger than life. <laughs> which, he, which he certainly was. Zero <laughs> yes, <Mostel>. he was. <laughs> well, so um, when it came uh, time to, I think it was still running on Broadway, wasn't it, when, when they made the film? It was, yeah. We ran on Broadway, I think, an additional year after the film came out. Yeah. Did you have any involvement in the film? Uh, the director, Norman Jewison, invited Jerry Bach and me to participate, but we had nothing to add to it, whereas the book writer, Joe Stein, did the film script and went to Yugoslavia where the film was filmed. He participated. Mm -hmm. We did not. Did you have any uh, trepidations about a film version? No, I can't say that I did. Um, Eventually, we were surprised that uh, he cut one song, but he knew that it was very that that the film was very long, and also for the character of the young revolutionary, they had cast a man who did not sing all that well, and eventually they realized that the song he was singing was not effective, mm -hmm. so they cut it. Okay, what what did you think of the film? I loved it. Yeah. I just mm -hmm. uh, the first time I saw it, what disappointed me was that the man who played Tevye. Uh, was not uh, American, he's Israeli, and he, uh, English was his second or third language, so he was not as comfortable with the spoken humor as other people, and I was a little disappointed in that, but the second time I saw it, that didn't matter at all. I thought, oh my goodness, he's wonderful, he's mm -hmm. just wonderful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and of course with, with film, then everybody gets to see the the musical, yeah. And what, what Norman Jewison did was that he took a stage play and he made it into a genuine cinematic experience. Mm -hmm. The things, the film, uh, I'll use the word, there is no such word, the filmic things that he did were just beautiful. So that's Sheldon Harnick, legendary lyricist, and as you can tell, there's a, quite a charming, yes. uh, very articulate uh, man, I guess as you would expect from a, from a legendary lyricist, uh, behind the scenes at uh, Filler and the Riff. He was in studio here in uh, 2013. He came uh, to Logan uh, to uh, participate in activities with the Utah Festival Opera and Musical Theater. Um, after we come back from break, which we'll go to next, we, uh, by the way, we're, you're hearing the best of Access Utah for the Pledge Drive, and today the theme is the arts. And uh, quite often here on the program we do various uh, arts. Um, next up we'll hear from um, composer and author and engineer, Renaissance woman, STEM advocate Christine McKinley, and we'll hear some music from her uh, musical, and uh, later in the program, guitarist Corey Christiansen will give us a, uh, a uh, history lesson, musical history lesson, illustrated on the guitar. 
Um, Peg Arnold is with me. We have some information on the Pledge Drive. We will uh, get to more of that following this break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Cache Valley Visitors Bureau, presenting the Cache Valley Foodie Trek, access to the National Forest, and live theater opportunities. More information available online at explorelogan.com. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. Peg Arnold and Tom Williams with you. Uh, coming up, we're going to hear from uh, Christine McKinley and uh, later in the program, Corey Christiansen on the guitar. Um, so uh, let's see. Uh, maybe, uh, Peg, uh, some information, uh, maybe some thank yous. And uh, we do have a listener challenge going on as well. Oh, uh, microphone here. Yes, we do. We do. Thank you to the people that have called already for Access Utah. Uh, we want to thank Shine With Light, Shirley and Monica from North Logan. Also, Marilyn and Milo Wadups from St. George. Do thank you, want, you. Yes, thank you. They listen every day, appreciate all we do at Utah Public Radio. So thank you for those um, uh, mentions and the support and the comments. Also, I want to thank Robert... Um, McKinley, or I'm sorry, McElhinney, sorry. It's hard to read this tiny script, Tom. Mm -hmm. Um, Considers himself a UPR junkie and calling from Escalante. Nice. Yeah, thank you, everyone. Um, Thank you for supporting Utah Public Radio and Access Utah. And um, it's your your opportunity to take advantage of this challenge as well from Sonia Manuel DuPont and Ryan DuPont. They are matching pledges right now, um, starting off our pledge drive today, and it's it's coming on with a, a with great support. So give us a um, well, you can pledge online upr.org, and. Um, that's the easiest way, the best way, probably during the day and in, um, throughout the day. You can certainly get get to us that way. UPR.org is the place to go, UPR.org, and that is a very generous. It's dollar-for-dollar dollar match from Sonia Manuel DuPont and Ryan DuPont, and uh, that's uh, up to $3,000, right? It is. Uh, so, it is. So, you, you know, you, you pledge $50 for Access Utah, that's doubled to 100 It is, and uh, that that supports this, this unique program. Um, it's expensive to make shows where you have guests in every day, where yeah. you're where you're doing a lot of research, where you're um, bringing a lot of things together, coordinating with the community, um, finding artists that are in our community and bringing them to air. Um, it doesn't it just happen. It, it, it is an expensive component of our overall programming, um, and we would like to hear from you on your support for this programming. We'd love to hear your feedback. What would you like to hear more of, uh, less of, and uh, what uh, what do you like? Why are you supporting Utah Public Radio, and in particular, Access uh, Utah? Uh, let's um, before we go to some more of the best of Access Utah. Let's hear some more from uh, Craig Jessup, Dean of the Kane College of the Arts. Let's hear uh, clip number three. Uh, dean Jessup came and talked to me yesterday. So it's the uh, we we do a lot of things here at uh, on Access Utah. We do uh, books and we do politics. We do current events. Uh, we also do the arts, and we're focusing this hour on the arts. And so we have with us uh, the dean of the Kane College of the Arts, USU, uh, Craig uh, Craig Jessup. Why are the arts so important? Well, the the arts to me are the soul of mankind. Uh, we as uh, a race, uh, as human beings have been capable of such enormous achievements in, in all realms, 
sciences, but the arts are what give humankind an expression of their deepest feelings of their souls. It becomes the signature in a way. I think when we look on the great civilizations of the past, those things that have remained most uh, prominent of their existence have been their art, their architecture. Uh, And I find anyone, I challenge anyone that can go through any day of their life from the moment they wake up till the moment they go to bed that in some way is not affected by the arts and the power, whether it be design or music or literature, whatever it might be, the arts play an all-encompassing part of their lives. I was thinking, uh, I saw a poster for an upcoming event. Um, perhaps we'll get him on Access Utah. Uh, uh, he's uh, talking about the effect of uh, music on the brain. Oh, yes. Um, that's that's uh, I can't remember his name. David Huron. David Huron. Yes. Yeah. And immediately I saw that poster and I thought, yeah, music has affected me all the way through my life. Exactly. Uh, opera's been a big part of that, but yeah. I mean, at least started hearing a Fleetwood Mac song that's, uh, yeah. you know, that just makes me feel happy every time I hear it. Um, and this relates directly to our music therapy program because of those incredible powers of music on the human brain. Uh, it's well documented. Uh, in the medical community, in the psychological community, when a person suffers a stroke, they might lose their ability to speak, but they don't lose their ability to sing. That music access and music making enters a different portion of the brain that wasn't affected by the uh, consequences of the stroke. And many other things in healing, in therapy, both physical and psychological. Now, music has this incredible power. Ancient Greeks knew this. The ancient Chinese knew that uh, the power of music could really help influence uh, the temperament of the civilization. Yeah. So that is uh, Craig Jessup, uh, eloquent as always, uh, Peg. Very, very. <laughs> Craig, oh. Craig, Craig could read the phone book and it would come out sounding <laughs> We'd listen. Sounding eloquent. Uh, he he's, and he's passionate. You can tell he's very passionate about the arts. Right, he is. And what a contributor to our society for the arts. He just does amazing things and has throughout his career, but really touched on some, some really important pieces there that the soul of society lives in the arts. And uh, we're happy to bring that to you every day that we have arts on this program. Um, Another thing, you know, it is the year of the arts, Tom. That's right. That's a USU project. And it is um, throughout the university, university wide. And um, we had the year of water some um, in a previous year. This is the year of the arts. And when there was a call for additional um, contributions to this, collaborations, participations in the year of the arts, um, Utah Public Radio jumped right in and said, yes, we want to do this. And and you can um, tell them about some of the programs that you have coming on that will feature artists right. and collaborations that we have with the Kane College. Uh, I mentioned one that Joe um, likely uh, will be coming up. We haven't secured him yet, but uh, uh, Professor Huron that we talked about, yes, uh, the, the yeah. effect of music, so we likely will have him. Uh, the next program up is uh, next week. It's the Arrington Lecture, 
and everything is flowing to Year of the Arts uh, this year. So Arrington Lecture usually is a, on an a item of history. Uh, this year it's uh, connected into music, and we'll have uh, Walter Rudolph, former uh, general manager at KBYU, big opera buff, Mm-hmm. Um, and he's going to talk about the history of opera in Utah. Wonderful. And so that'll be fun. That'll be part of uh, Year of the Arts. And uh, he and I will geek out on UC Beerling, <laughs> the, the great Swedish tenor. He's a, great, he's a big fan as well as I am. We'll probably hear some UC Beerling on All that right. program. Anyway, uh, that'll be coming up. Uh, we have uh, talked with Patrick Doherty. A fascinating sculptor. He he sculpts with saplings. Yes. And uh, his installations are designed to be impermanent. They last about a year in their in their you know their their form. Uh, he's going to be coming. To, he was on USU campus to scout out some locations. He'll be coming next year to install one of his pieces, and that'll be a great opportunity. We we talked with him. Uh, we also talked with Maureen Hearns, uh, who is head of music therapy at Utah State uh, University, and that was a fascinating conversation. So we're going to be doing one of these, at least one of these a month, uh, throughout the Year of the Arts. That's coming up as you listen to Access Utah. You can look forward to those. We're also um, um, incorporating more reporting on the arts through through this year. All things that you can support by calling us at 800-826-1495. You can also pledge online at upr.org. We'd love to hear from you. Take advantage of this challenge and have your money doubled dollar for dollar and support Access Utah at the very same time. Uh, we had an email from a, a, a very faithful Access Utah listener. I don't know whether he wanted to be attributed here. He didn't say in his email. He was saying, you're not giving out the uh, the phone number. So uh, we, we'll remedy that. Here's the number, 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. Volunteers are standing by, 800-826-1495, and we'd love to hear from you. You can also go online to upr.org, upr.org. Um, it's support for Utah Public Radio. It's support in specific right now for Access Utah. We'd love to love to hear uh, of that of your support. If this is a program you especially tune in for on a regular basis, and now's the time when we come to you and ask for your support. Right. And Access Utah, today is the arts, but you also get arts, culture, science, um, literature. We bring current events. So much comes out of Access Utah. Arts are beautiful. They're part of our life, and they uh, enhance our disposition in this world. (laughs) I mean, that's how I think about it. If if you need some music, that's a good place, a good place to go. Um, You can support that, the artists and the art that comes Um, to you through Access Utah. We would really appreciate your pledge of support for that today. 800-826-1495. You can also pledge online, upr.org. I was thinking, uh, Peg, about the the things I left on the cutting room floor as I was preparing this program. (laughs) Uh, We could mention those just as an illustration of the the wonderful uh, arts um, interviews that we do here on on Access Utah and the great opportunity I have. It's uh, not a bad gig. Um, So uh, I uh, had a chance to sit down with a couple of members of Chanticleer a couple of years ago. I interviewed a a very interesting uh, Israeli um, cellist uh, a few years ago. His his name is Amit Peled. And he talked about uh, life growing up on a kibbutz in, um, in Israel and also the fact that he uh, has a connection to Pablo Casals. Uh, through a whole long history, he got connected up with Casals' widow, 
Uh, he admired Casals very much, and he got the opportunity to play on Casals' cello. Amazing. To, and so the, the connection that way. Just a s- couple of examples mm-hmm. of uh, some programs that you may want to go and check out on, on upr.org, uh, but they won't, don't, won't hear today. Arts, uh, very strong on, on uh, Access Utah. Uh, well, let's, let's encourage you to call right now, and uh, your money will be doubled. If you, uh, if you call right now, courtesy of Sonia Manuel DuPont and Ryan DuPont, dollar-for-dollar dollar match up to $3,000. Your money doubled right now at 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, or upr.org, upr.org. Let's jump back into uh, some best of Access Utah. The theme is the arts today. Later on in the program, we'll hear from guitarist Corey Christiansen. He'll give us a musical history lesson illustrated on the guitar. Right now, let's hear uh, an excerpt from uh, one of my favorite interviews of all time. I think this was 2016 when Christine McKinley came to campus. I love this one, too. Uh, She was advocating, as she often does, STEM education, especially for girls. Mm -hmm. She's an engineer. Right. Elsewhere in our interview, this is not part that we'll hear, she talks about uh, difficulties of being the only woman in the room, often, as an an engineer. And and questions like... Oops. I'm not sure what happened. Okay. There we go. Yeah. Um, and questions like, why is an engineer singing? Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> I think we will hear that in this part of the yeah. excerpt. So she has a lot of disparate uh, parts to uh, to her life. She's an engineer. She's also a musician and composer. And uh, so uh, we'll hear an excerpt from the interview that I did, including at least one excerpt from her uh, very interesting uh, musical called Gracie and the Atom. So here, let's uh, hear a, a bit of my interview from, I believe it's 2016, with Christine McKinley. Talk a bit about um, this. You, you have a phrase, handmade life. Yeah. Um, so from, from your blog, by the way, christinemckinley.com is the website. So this blog post was titled Handmade Life. And you say, I think I've finally done it. My life is the perfect mix of engineering, writing, music, and getting muddy. Yeah. I've finally done it. So so tell me about that. So you're an engineer. Yes. That's your profession. You're, yes. you're right. You do music. We'll get into some of that a little later. Getting muddy. That's getting in the outdoors. doors. Uh, yeah. I'm a trail runner and um, mountain biker and, and skier. And so I, there's just a certain amount of, I think from growing up in Alaska, maybe there's just a certain amount of being outdoors and um, just being tired and muddy that, that if I don't get that, I don't feel right. Mm-hmm. So handmade life, what does that mean? To me, it means even if you don't see it, if you don't see um, someone who has exactly the life, because um, I, I didn't know anyone doing, I didn't know any women engineers at all when I was little. I barely know any now. Um, go ahead and make that life by hand. Just take pieces and create something that no one else has ever created. Y- mm-hmm. Your life is is the greatest, most important science experiment you will ever participate in. Mm. So take even if it doesn't seem like if you just love macrame and you also want to be a chemical engineer, there is nothing wrong with combining those in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to uh, get into the musician side of side of you. You, you uh, there must be an artistic need there, right? So yeah. it's, you're doing mechanical engineering during yeah. the day, and but you you're a musician as well. Yes. Tell me about about that side. Well, I started uh, I started playing bass in college. Um, so it started really early as I was studying mechanical engineering. I was really studying um, songwriting and, and how to hand, handle gear on stage and, and how to make money as a musician. And 
um, I just love I just love what a, a well constructed song does to to our brain. I mm. just I absolutely am in love with music, and I still try and stay current on what's coming out. And um, I just don't think that'll ever go away for me. Mm. So the, the two ongoing tracks, of course, then you write as well, and mm-hmm. and you get muddy. Uh, so those are the four <laughs> four things. Um, uh, but, but compare and contrast then that your work in engineering and then you're well, playing as a musician, composing as, as a musician. You know, um, engineering design and songwriting are not that different um, in some ways. Uh, y- you need to um, you need to like. It's hard to explain, but in thermodynamics, when um, steam states change, for example, um, you sort of pit like maybe a temperature will stay the same, but it turns into uh, a more wet steam. It's the same when key, uh, a key changes in a song. Mm-hmm. You, you sort of keep your foot on, you can sing one note and that one note shows up in the next chord. So I'm not explaining this well, but there's just know that it's real similar thinking where you need to stay organized, but you also need to reach so in design, you need to stay organized, you need to stay within code, stay within structure, but you need to then reach creatively and think, now where could I put this air handling unit? It's the same writing songs. You can't make the drummer suddenly completely change what she's doing, but um, there needs to be consistency and, and you need to allow the listener to follow. Hmm. Uh, let me just read this uh, brief uh, paragraph here, what Gracie and the Atom is about. Uh, so it's described as the soundtrack to a... Uh, the musical play about life, death, physics, and Catholic school. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's accurate so far. Great big hooks, a choir of girls' voices to back the vocals. That, and so when Gracie loses her father, she's sent off to Catholic school. Uh, while Sister Ludwina uh, preaches physics, Sister Francis dissects the Gospels, Archimedes slides into his tub, Jesus walks in Galilee, and Einstein searches for the theory of everything. Gracie looks to them all to answer her questions. Why is she at Our Lady of Peace uh, High School if she's not Catholic? How can she get a message from her father? Where is the mother she never knew? Her new classmates help her with the details of purgatory, Ouija boards, and uh, superhero saints. But nothing in this new territory, protons, prayer, miracles, and mechanics, can help Gracie escape gravity or prepare her for what she finds. <laughs> Sounds fascinating. Wow. And, and <laughs> I assume some of this is autobiographical? Yeah, some of it is. I actually lost my dad... Um, a week after I graduated from college, my stepdad, who encouraged me to be a mechanical engineer, was really just a great parent. Um, so I lost him right after. Um, Gracie loses her dad right before starting high school. And she goes on a similar uh, journey that I did. It, it, when I lost my dad, he suddenly he died in a fire. I thought, you know, I know all of this about physics. I understand, um, you know, relativity as well as I can. Somewhere in there... He's he's able to communicate with me. I had this really sort of magical like there's got to be a way with everything I know to understand why this happens, where I'm going to go, and how I can how he can stay in touch with me. Hmm. Let's hear a, a song. Uh, this is a uh, one of the briefer songs. Let's hear it. It's called Falling Down. Anything you want to say to set this up? Um, this is a duet, right? This is a um, in the, in the show in the musical. This is a duet between um, two girls, two best friends. And I was told in order to write a musical, there really needs to be a love interest, and I I uh, ignored that advice. Mm-hmm. And to me, the love interest is these um, girls, these uh, high school girls, really watching out for each other. Let's hear this. This is uh, falling down. This is from Christine McKinley's uh, musical called Gracie and the Atom. You die before me. Can I walk with 
float. That's how we get around without falling down. If I break free from gravity first, I'll come on back and tell you how it works. Pick you up. is a portion most of uh, Falling Down. That's from Gracie and the Atom. It's an award-winning musical that uh, Christine McKinley composed, and she performs there as well. Uh, she's in a band. She's an engineer. She's a STEM advocate. She's an author. Uh, she uh, wrote uh, Physics for rock stars. I love it. Um, she... and it, Which is kind of a memoir slash um, trying to interest people in, uh, young people in STEM. And young people in arts and sciences. I mean, I think a lot of people have that capacity to do both. And uh, perhaps we don't explore it enough. So I really like her as an example of Renaissance activity. Even if even if you just enjoy doing things, you don't have yeah. to specialize in everything. Right. Um, you can enjoy a lot of different things in life yeah. without it being your career path or your um, focus for, right. any, for any period of time. So that's what we're doing today. We're that's trying right. to bring a little art to your life. That's right. And, and illustrate what we do here at Access Utah. One more thing on Christine McKinley. Another fascinating, uh, and you can go online to upr.org and uh, after you pledge, uh, we'll have you <laughs> do that the first thing, okay. but you can check out the full interview. Uh, another inter- very interesting strain, her parents uh, sent her to Catholic school. They weren't Catholic. She's not Catholic. <laughs> they sent her because they thought it was a good school. And so she has a whole thing in her memoir, a whole uh, strain uh, there, at, uh, uh, a thread of, of what it's like 
to, to, to be a young girl in, in Catholic school and a uh, you know, young girl interested in science and, and that whole. She had a, a great experience, some great teachers there. Um, anyway, that's the kind of interview that we do. If uh, that is something that you tune in for, that you've come to rely on, Utah Public Radio, you can rely on Utah Public Radio, including here at uh, Access Utah. And uh, the way you strengthen this uh, service is to uh, pledge whatever you can. The good news is your pledge is doubled uh, today up to Mm $3,000, courtesy of uh, Sonia Manuel DuPont and Ryan DuPont. Yes, they're contributing um, for this day of pledging. So now is a great time to call. 800-826-1495 is our number. You can also pledge online, of course, at upr.org. And we want to thank Tom, an, an Access Utah fan. Yes. We do. We want to thank Steve McIntyre. Oh, thank you, Steve. Yes. Uh, Steve is such a great supporter of Access Utah. He he shoots me ideas. He uh, he helps uh, comment on the program. Uh, he's a, just a, not only financial supporter, but a great uh, moral support to the program. So thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Um, and thank you to everyone listening across the great state of, of Utah. We have uh, 36 transmitters and translators. Wherever you are and listening, we appreciate your support. This morning we've heard from North Logan, Beaver Dam, Arizona, Escalante. Um, It all helps. It all helps us um, broaden our offerings and uh, give you these in-depth shows um, that will will inspire. Will will bring you something you didn't know before. That's the function of public radio and society. And part of that is having members, and members make us work. 800-826-1495 is the place to call. Help continue this kind of programming on this station um, in perpetuity. I mean, that really, public radio is here to stay and and wants to continue to bring you these things each and every day. 800-826-1495. 800-826-1495. I'll say it again. I'll flog it here. (laughs) 800-826-1495. You know, you're a great supporter of UPR if you have that number memorized, which, which we, <laughs> we we do. listeners do report that they do. Uh, or you can go to upr.org, upr.org. And what uh, we're not just saying the number to say it. We, we would really like you to go to the phones, go online, and uh, pledge your support in whatever amount's comfortable for you, and, uh, and know that that's doubled today, up to $3,000, courtesy of Sonia Manuel-Dupont and, and Ryan DuPont. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll hear once more from Craig Jessup, Dean of the Kane College of the Arts, and uh, we'll finish the program hearing from Corey Christiansen on the guitar. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Cache Valley Visitors Bureau, showcasing outdoor access to the National Forest for hiking, fishing, and camping. Information on trails, campsites, and more is available online at explorelogan.com. You can pledge to Utah Public Radio by calling us at 1-800-826-1495. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. Tom Williams with Peg Arnold. It's the Pledge Drive, and that means best of Access Utah today. That means the arts. Uh, we do a lot of arts interviews here on the program, and uh, that's a lot of fun. Hope it enriches your life. Uh, if it does, so we hope that you will consider going online to upr.org, upr.org, or calling us at 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, pledging your support 
and uh, know that that'll be doubled today, courtesy of a Lister Challenge from Sonia Manuel Dupont and, and uh, Ryan uh, Dupont. Uh, Peggy, let's listen to uh, one more um, excerpt from my interview from yesterday with Craig Jessup, Dean of the Kane College of, uh, of the Arts. This is uh, uh, number four. So uh, you are, you're very familiar with fundraising. You've, yes. you've done it uh, yes. <laughs> a long time. Yeah. We're trying to raise funds here for public radio. I wonder yeah. what would you say about um, the, the, specifically Access Utah, what, well, uh, this, why, why we need the, the support? Absolutely. So uh, Access Utah is a, is a wonderful analogy that it speaks to the quality of life, the quality of life in our community. It's an area uh, of communication. In a way, it's a marketplace of all that's happening uh, in the arts, in the sciences, uh, in everything that's happening in our community. And this investment to me of contributing to uh, arts access is an investment in the quality of life in our community. And it gives this forum for communication, for discovery, for discussion, for debate. And it doesn't happen for free. And that if all of us pull together collectively, we may not have a lot individually, but if we all contribute a little Collectively, we can help secure the future of these programs. Mm. And you, you listen to public radio, I think. Right? I do every yeah. morning and every yeah. evening. Very good. To and from work. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Excellent. What What does it do for you? Uh, it helps me start my day. I I find I want to know what's going on in the world. And then I find very many interesting features of visiting artists or politicians or uh, scientists that bring me into a world that I might normally have not even gone into or thought about. It broadens my perspective, keeps me engaged, motivates me to service or to take action in some particular cause. Uh, sometimes it simply entertains me. I can't tell you how many times I've pulled home in the driveway and can't get out of the car till that particular segment is finished because I want to hear the end of it and what happened. That is, is good broadcasting. Yeah. We talk a lot about community here at UPR. It's, it's a UPR community. We come together as a community to raise funds to help to continue it. Yeah. Uh, you think a lot about community, I'm, I'm sure, with, with, I, I with arts. The, the, one of the wonderful things about the UPR community is it's not just Cache Valley and Logan, Utah. You broadcast in every corner of the state of Utah, and sometimes I think there are some very rural regions, you are one of the only links to all that's happening in our great state, and then a window on the nation as well. And that's something I want to give to. I want to contribute to this because we, as a society, are no stronger than our ability to communicate and to understand one another and work together. And, and Access Utah is fundamental in providing that connection to one another in our community. That's Craig Jessup, uh, Dean of the Kane College of the Arts at uh, USU, also uh, director of the American Festival Chorus and Orchestra, former director of the Mormon Tabernacle uh, Choir, and Access Utah supporter. So thank yes, you. Yes, and contributor. 
and contributor. contributor. Yes, yes. And and public radio listener. I loved how he talked about basically the driveway moment. Sometimes you're so glued in that you can't stop. So um, we know how that, that whole junkie uh, mindset works because we're listening all day, every day. Yeah. But for those of you that maybe aren't listening every day, but you tune into Access Utah. That's one of your places to go for interesting information and programming. We're hoping to hear from you today. 800-826-1495. Call and help support this show. 800-826-1495, or upr.org, upr.org, and your money is doubled today, courtesy of uh, Sonny Manuel DuPont and Ryan DuPont, up to $3,000. So thank you uh, so much in advance to you, and thank you to uh, to Sonia and, and Ryan. Uh, let's uh, conclude the program here with an excerpt from a fairly recent interview. Uh, in our Studio B, we had uh, guitarist and USU guitar professor Corey Christiansen. And uh, in this part of the program, he gets into a bit of a musical history lesson illustrated on the guitar. This is one of my favorite parts. Whenever I have a musician in live, I like to do something like this, and uh, Corey obliged me. So let's, uh, let's hear a portion of this. All this is interrelated, isn't it? Those, uh, you know, those gar- the guitarists you just mentioned, musicians uh, over in England, yeah, were heavily influenced by American blues, right? And exactly. Influences. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of an interesting thing. I mean, they, you know, the American blues musicians um, weren't as near respected as they should have been, you know, in their home country, um, and, until the British came over and told us how, how cool they were. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was, yeah, there was something definitely in the, you know, in the '60s that was uh, really about that music that was resonating with um, uh, a, a lot of British musicians. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, then they kind of brought our our music back back to us. Yeah, interesting that we had to be told from somebody on the outside how great our, you know, American blues tradition actually was. Right. Says a lot about the time, also, right. Right. you know, with the with the different things that were going on regarding race relations and and, and whatnot. But um, but thank goodness they brought it back to us. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been very influential. It's wonderful yeah. music. As I'm reading from your biography, uh, Corey Christiansen's music draws on tradition of the masters, but leans toward the future, rooted in the tradition of jazz language. But uh, just bluesy and gritty enough not to alienate larger audiences. His music follows the first two recordings, and then it goes on to talk about uh, traditional music as well. I wonder, I don't know if you do this in classes, and I didn't prep this at all. I wonder, yeah. uh, I don't know if you could take us through the kind of the transition from blues to some of the rock artists that you admire, uh, you know, demonstrating that. I don't know. Yeah. Something you can do. Well, I mean, you know, there's a lot of. Um I mean, the early early blues guitar players were uh, um, were were more solo players, you know. So you know they they and, and a lot of them were finger style players, you know. So they'd play. Um, this is one my dad wrote actually. I 
mean, that's a traditional 12, 12 bar blues, mm-hmm. right? And uh, in, in very much like an older Delta uh, Mississippi style. Um, so, um, you know, later, probably, you know, more, morphing on and, you know, some of the, some of the musicians that start to copy maybe more of a, you know, a, not really a, a boogie woogie, but more of a, more of a rock and roll kind of style. So that's you know that's more of like a rock and roll style mm-hmm. style blues, but it's all right. it's all blues form. Yeah, yeah. You know? And uh, you know a lot of blues players hear them talk about like a twelve bar blues, which is a very popular popular form. Hendrix played uh, those you know those blues forms. Red House, I mean that was one of his you know one of his signature tunes is is um, which was not one of uh, one of his uh, originals. Um, but, you know Red Red House is uh, traditional twelve bar blues, but a lot of those eight bar blues were what were what were so popular. I mean, they made you know kind of put Elvis on the map, and, mm. right? You know. Right. Wonder uh, take it now to transition to to jazz. Uh, the guitar has been very influential in in jazz. What? Yeah. What was the transition there? Well, you know, the guitar at the beginning of of jazz wasn't a solo instrument at all, uh, and that's because it, um, you know, it just wasn't loud enough. You had to compete with, um, you know, being in a, uh, you know, the early jazz music was mostly big band music more than combo, uh, combo music. And so you had, um, uh, you know, a guitar that was competing, um, you know, against an, uh, like against an entire big band for, for sonic space, which isn't going to happen when you go to take a solo. So it was more of a rhythmic instrument. And that's that kind of followed the banjo tradition, really. I mean, the early stringed, you know, rhythm section instrument was banjo. Banjo is kind of an interesting instrument. I mean, it cuts a lot more than the guitar, right, mm-hmm. it, as far as sonically speaking. I, I don't know, maybe literally also, I, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the banjos. Um Kind of an interesting instrument, really, in, in certain sonic space, it almost gets louder the further you are away from it. You know, I mean, the way that it cuts. I, the old joke is, you, you know, you don't know whether to run away from it or run <laughs> towards it, you know. Um, but the guitar, you know, uh, kind of by the 19, you know, 20s and 1930s, there were some builders, uh, you know, Gibson, Company was one. Uh, Stromberg was another. D'Angelico was another. They started making archtop guitars, which is kind of like the guitar I'm playing today, but um, that had enough projection that they could actually kind of replace the the banjo. And so it was a rhythm section instrument. And if I stick kind of with the same blues thing, uh, probably during that time, I mean, one of the most influential guitar players was a guy named Freddie Green, who played with the Count Basie Orchestra, and he just played chords all the time and it, and like a, what they call four to the bar playing too so he'd uh um if the bass player is walking along do 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 he's going to chunk chords right in sync with that so if i was playing a blues like in a freddie green style let's see one two uh two three
And that's probably what he would do all night long is just chunk chords. In fact, uh, you know, guitarists didn't really start taking solos until uh, the, the electric guitar technology had developed, you know, a little bit more. So um, by the time we get to Charlie Christian, who was playing with Benny Goodman, which is a very important band also because it's one of the first um, uh, desegregated bands. I mean, ben, Benny Goodman was, was hiring, you know, black musicians um, uh, in a very, uh, well, his band was very popular. It was a very public band, um, and uh, you know he he really had a, a a mix of of different races in the band, which is uh, was I think one of the most important things Benny Goodman did. I mean, he's a great clarinet player, but going beyond that, uh, Charlie Christian was in his band, who was a guitar player from Oklahoma, and uh, played electric guitar. So Freddie Green made a career out of just playing, you know, those four to the bar chords uh with that acoustic sound he you know the stories are that you know he he did eventually buy an electric guitar and he had an amplifier and and uh and the band would give him a solo once in a while because he could be heard but that the the band was so used to the sound of the ensemble with freddie playing chords and they he was really responsible for a lot of the way the music felt that when he stopped playing his rhythm part the band that's a portion of our interview with with um, Corey Christiansen. Some uh, fascinating uh, uh, stories there. The rest of that story was the, uh, the the band got so used to him doing the rhythm guitar that even though when he had the amplifier um, and could be the lead um, instrument, they would sabotage his, his amplifier <laughs> so so that he'd have to go back to being the rhythm, the rhythm, the, the rhythm guy. So some fascinating stories there from Corey Christiansen. Our appreciation to him uh, coming in and giving us some enjoyable music. We do some live uh, uh, performances here on Access Utah as well. We do, we do, and that's part of um, uh, the arts on Utah Public Radio and Access Utah, and that's your your contribution goes towards that today. If you give us a call at 800-826-1495, like so many people have, thank you to Steve and to Milo and to Marilyn and to Robert and people that didn't want to be thanked on air, but we still appreciate it. Those of you in Nibley, for instance. <laughs> um, thank you to everybody that called. We exceeded our goal for this hour. Oh, thank you. Um, and we're very pleased to, uh, that that you are along for Access Utah, that you're along with this pledge drive. Um, we, continue, we continue the project because we have a lot to raise. So please, if you haven't called yet, want to support this program, we have a couple minutes left. Please do give us a call. 800-826-1495. Pledge online to upr.org. That's upr.org. And thanks so much for listening today. Tomorrow we'll have Jason Gilmore with us, uh, universe, or Utah State University professor, a frequent guest on Access Utah. We'll talk about and highlight some of our current events, our, uh, our headline shows. Uh, that's uh, tomorrow. Thanks for listening today. You're listening to Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSUFM Logan, and also heard at upr.org.